Hi, everybody, and welcome to a Gem of a Secret podcast. My name is Donatella, my secrets. And my name is Coco Gem Holiday. How are you doing tonight, Coco? Um, it's my last night of drinking because oh. we're merging into Sober October. <laughs> Sober October. You know oh, what? Gosh. It's my last night of um, weed. Yes, so that's what I'm <laughs> giving up for Lent. <laughs> right. Giving up for Lent. And actually, we know. know that this episode comes out on October 4th. For, oh, wow. October 1st. Um, so and we recorded the night before, so... Um, Sorry, I don't know what Lent is, and that might be offensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, happy birthday. You have to deal with us acting in whatever manner we deem necessary. And <laughs> we're doing coming out stories... This time around, part four. Yes. Part four. Yeah. And last part we did Donatella's, and we cried, and we unpacked that devastating story um, for our viewers, and we gave you some tips. So that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, it was, um, it's always fun to revisit those things. Um. You know, it's, it's so funny. After the episode, I, like, me and Autumn were just, like, a mess, and... <laughs> and Donna's like, I haven't told it in a while. And she's just fine. <laughs> and we were yeah. just like out of our minds with like worry. I didn't cry. I normally cry. But yeah. I don't know. I think I've just, I've, I haven't told it in a while, but I have told it a lot, I feel. And it's like always nice to revisit it because it is, you know, a certain level of trauma that you have to kind of like, revisit to make yourself a better person so, yeah you know I feel like that's important I do too yeah so um, we have the final <laughs> part of our series um, which I um, me and Donna have invited my drag daughter Touche Duche to share her coming out story the biggest reason um, we wanted to do this is we actually I've never actually heard her story about it but um, she always says it's very long and incredibly traumatic, so we figured we would yeah. invite all of you to share this experience <laughs> with us, listeners. Because, you know, we just we love to do stuff on the fly. Um, also keep in mind that for the next couple of episodes, I don't think it'll be the next one, but probably the one after that, we're going to be doing true crime stories. Yes. I'm so excited to do true crime. I am too. I know. All right. So, um, Touche, go ahead and take us through your journey. Hi everybody, it's Touche Douche here. Touche likes beef on all social media handles, except for OnlyFans. That one's a secret. Um, <laughs> Donna, you should know all about this. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Just in my name. Where do I start? Um, I guess like a, a brief kind of synopsis for people to be able to relate to my story. Because it, my coming out story really took many years and... There was a lot of hurt over those years. Probably a good course of a decade is how long it took for me to really fully unravel it within myself and talk to people about it, whether I was forced to or I was tricked into it or I was, you know, you know, um, willfully choosing to share that story. Um, the best way I can relate my experience just for people who maybe aren't familiar with queer stories um, and how that works is there's a there's a film trope where there's a character who all their life um, they were told this picture and given this narrative of who they are but then at some point they find out like this secret about themselves and everybody in their life has been in on this secret and just didn't tell them that's kind of how I describe my uh, my coming out experience because um, I was told from a very young age with the, actually from about two weeks old my grandmother held me and told my cousins this one's queer 
Um, this is what I, the story I've been told. And wow. I've had other people, I guess, throughout the course of my youth tell my parents that this one is a very gay child. Um, I don't know if that resulted in them cracking down on the lifestyle they raised me in. Um, but, you know, I lived a very, very sheltered life. Um, my, my, my past, my history, I guess, is um, I should go into that first. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, about two hours outside of San Diego, in the rural desert area close to Imperial County and the Mexican border. Um, my town had about 400 people in it. Uh, the way it worked is either you related to them, you could marry one of them, or you were divorced by them. That's kind of the dynamic of the people there. <laughs> um, so it's a very tight-knit community, and um, you know, there's just a, there's a lot of, of trauma there beyond just being queer. Um, Sorry, this is a, this is a lot. <laughs> no, I get it. Um, so I was yeah. not only that raised in this rural area, but um, I don't know if you guys have seen or heard of the show Nineteen Kids and Counting with like that you know oh, super religious. I have. Yeah. yeah, it's a super religious family in Arkansas. Um, my family knew them. Like that's oh. that's the world we were in. Well, that's what I <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, honey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I. Uh, at a very young age, um, you know, I had traumatic queer experiences. Uh, I came into the knowledge that I was, you know, self-realized as gay um, when I was 15 years old. I was kind of standing in my bathroom. I just had been going through these depressive episodes, and my parents had told me that mental illness isn't real my whole life, so I just thought I was broken and needed Jesus. Oh, God. So, um, like, their solution to mental illness was, let's take you to the pastor and have a session. Oh, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, you know, there's that fun. Um, so I was looking in the mirror. I was completely naked and I was looking at myself and I'm like, I think I'm different than what people tell me I am. And I started crying because I'm like, I don't understand what this is. I didn't have education beyond some queer family members who my parents continually harassed and stuff. Um, they would call my gay aunts and uncles, um, you know, uh, or my gay uncle specifically because um, Steve and Mike were kind of you know, isolated influences in my childhood. And they would call him Uncle Uncle Stephen, Auntie Mike was the terms they would use. And Mike wasn't trans or identified as femme or female. It was just, you know, lots of negative influences. So I had a lot of fear um, exploring queerness. Um, when I reached a point where I was self-aware of these things, I think my parents picked up on that because soon after, uh, they started cracking down even more on me. Uh, they would isolate me for months at a time. They would take away any type of stimulation beyond their direct interaction. Um, and then they would instill into me and my siblings, I have a brother who's younger than me. Um, and this is something that they would say quite often from the time I was about 15 on is, if you ever become a criminal, a drug addict, or a homosexual, we will kill you knowing we rid the God's earth of pestilence. Oh, God. Pretty, oh pretty God. often. Um, oh, Jesus. So I, I had a very rough time, um, and as a lot of queer people do, especially queer people who were, you know, AMAB, assigned male at birth, um, I do apologize if that terminology is, uh, you know, considered uh, discriminatory or offensive, it's just how I'm able to rationalize it, because um, I identify as gender nonconforming, non-binary. Um, a lot of us will overcompensate into hypermasculinity, so I got very much into martial arts. Um, I worked outside, I was a manual laborer, uh, I was around a lot of male influences, which for a young queer boy isn't actually the, the best no, <laughs> influence. I can, <laughs> um, I can relate with because, that for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and especially because like, 
I didn't know it because I'd buried the memory, but I had been like sexually abused by someone at my parents' church when I was nine years old. And this was someone that I actually had a lot of influences with through my teen years and had a strange relationship with. Like I took care of his kids in Sunday school, taught them the Bible and stuff. It was very, very strange. Yeah. Um, but that's a little bit later down the road. We'll get into that. Um, I don't know. Do you have any questions so far? Because it's a lot. (laughs) Have we gotten into when you told your parents? Um, That's down the road quite a long ways, but there was a lot of stuff in between. Um, With my parents, our relationship is very strange. Um, So this is all just like the background. Yeah, I have a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, When it comes to me coming out to my parents, because that's kind of what you guys, I've been listening to your podcast and it's what you guys have been focusing on. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew like by the time I was 17, like, I needed to get away from my parents as much as I could. I needed to be completely independent Mm -hmm. or else they would have a hold over my life forever and continue to manipulate me because that's Mm -hmm. just who they were. So at 18, um, I moved out, renovated an apartment um, so that I could move away. And I started going to school. Mm -hmm. Um, Quickly after that, I had some queer friends just from high school doing theater and stuff because, you know, that's queer bees love to do theater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, so girl, when are you coming out? And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, listen, I know. I think everybody knows. So, like, when are you coming out? And so I really started opening up to them over the next couple months, um, living on my own, seeing so independent. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I was honestly like, you know what? I'm bisexual. Let's go with on the bisexual trope. So they helped me download Grindr, and uh, I started exploring that. Um, and then ran into some financial hardships, so Grindr became then a source of income after that. Because I knew I couldn't go to my parents for any type of financial resources because they would manipulate me uh, with any tools they could. Um, and that's when I really started exploring sexuality, which probably wasn't the healthiest thing. I'm um, well, willingly exploring sexuality. Um, through that, uh, I did meet my partner, who I'm still with from many, many years ago, um, who was really there for me for a lot of stuff. But this is where my parents really started getting involved is after I met my partner. Um, Because a few months after meeting them, my car transmission blew out on me and it was going to be three grand to replace and the car had over 200,000 miles on it. Um, And where I was living, I couldn't get to my job. Because I had a part-time job, I couldn't get to school. I just started a new semester and I'm like, I didn't have anything else to do. So like I told my parents, like the transmission blew on my car. Could I maybe borrow your extra one because they had a spare car? Um, and they said, yeah, I mean, you could totally borrow a car, but like, here's the thing. Like, I think if you're going to borrow it, you're going to have to move back in with us. And before you can use it, you, I, we feel like maybe you should go away for a while because we feel like you're maybe having a hard time with some things and you need to have some spiritual counseling in order to overcome some struggles you're having. Yikes. So we never talked about it, but that's the point I knew that they knew. And it kind of became this cat and mouse game. Um, who's going to say who? Yeah. And then I found out that they, uh, they really did some shitty stuff. Uh, my mom worked for a, a financial advisor. And um, my address, they knew where it was because I was an idiot. Um, and gave it to them. So what she did, and it's probably unethical, is she accessed the marketing database for her job, Googled my address within that database, found the name of the other person who lived there, stalked them on the internet, and uh, because he used to volunteer with youth organizations because he was in the Navy and he worked with, like, you know, the high school Navy kids programs or whatever, I don't remember what they're called right now, uh, my mom then went around to all my childhood family and friends telling people that I'd been groomed by a pedophile and taken in under the influence. Oh, jeez. 
Um, so it, it became a very toxic situation where they were continually degrading me and I just like, I can't come out to them. And the main reason I still didn't come out to them at that point, because that's a, a big thing to be like, what the fuck, why are you doing this? I know exactly what you're doing, was, was for two reasons. One, uh, my grandmother was still alive and she is very, very religious. Um, yeah. She, she, I found out later she knew and she was fine with it, but you know, I, I didn't want to be the reason she died. Mm. So I didn't come out. The second reason was because my brother was still underage and living under my parents' roof. And I had found out through him, without him really knowing how to express it, that my parents had started retaliating against him physically because of my lifestyle. Mm. So I was afraid if I come out that they would, you know, really abuse him. Yeah. You know, and that actually kind of makes sense because, like, I met Touche's brother mm-hmm. recently and he actually did admit because mm-hmm. um, here's the thing about when we telling our, when we tell our stories, we actually talked about this with uh, Donatella's stories. Is our parents don't necessarily love when we share our coming out stories. Because mm-hmm. guess what? It paints them as terrible people. Yeah. yeah. Usually, like you always think, like we all think that you know your parents want to love you, provide for you, and take care of you. Yeah. And all of our stories. I mean, Autumn's story was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is great that she had that. But, we love um, the Care Bear coming out story. Those ones are always really yeah, warm but, and fuzzy. No, because you, your, your parents act in a way. And so the reason I was interrupting is mm-hmm. because Touche's brother actually did mention that his parents, sorry, her parents mm-hmm. were very rough um, on Touche. Mm-hmm. Um, just in general, not necessarily about the coming out or being queer. Just in general and really relaxed a lot after Touche kind of like moved out Mm -hmm. on her own and claimed a little bit more of her independence Mm -hmm. so it's even been corroborated by her her own family member that her parents were not the best to her my parents and they're very complex people um they kind they came from those stereotypical you know like those country movies like where it's the story of the kids who live in the trailer park with the abusive stepdad and the mom who's had three kids with three different guys yeah. that was my parents childhood my mom was born when my grandmother was 16 sorry no she was 15 and three quarters was what they say because apparently that's an important thing to the date is the three quarters part (laughs) um so my mom and then my dad was a similar situation um and they both were passed around from family member to family member because my great-grandmother not my great-grandmother my grandmother um was a drug addict and a prostitute um like my grandmother was one of the first non-queer people to be diagnosed with aids I remember you saying this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. she, she was one yeah. of the first non-queer, you know, homosexual people to be diagnosed with AIDS. Um, and so she actually was a lot of, she had a lot of the test medication for people for HIV medication and AIDS medication that people use today. Wow. Um, so, I mean, wow. that I guess that's a good legacy that she left behind. Um, um, yeah. But yeah. Well, um, <laughs> not, to, not to interrupt because mm-hmm. I feel like me and Donna haven't said much, right. but... Uh, Donna, how are, how are you doing this evening? Well, um, I'll let you know after this brief commercial break. Are you ready for the next digital interactive drag experience? Tune in for Spoopy Introvert on Saturday, October 3rd at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with queens from the Boulay Brothers Dragula and Camp Wanakiki. Tickets are only $5 and you can buy them online at thecdsdrag.com introvert. That's thecdsdrag.com introvert. It's a podcast Check it out. with Coco and Donna. Tell a podcast. Check it out. Tune into what they tell you. Podcast. Check it out. With Coco and Donna. Tell a podcast. Check it out. 
Yes, I'm feeling like we might have some questions. Coco, I'm going to defer to you. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, we left off with, um, you know, you talked about your grandmother and mm-hmm. those stories. Oh, I, I guess we should have an educational moment here. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't come out to my grandmother before she passed. Mm-hmm. Um I don't regret that decision, not saying that you all, like we always say in here, come out when you feel ready, Mm -hmm. and you do have to come out to almost every single person you know, and every family member, Mm -hmm. and people just tend not to tell grandparents, your parents don't want to tell your grandparents, and so if if you're close with your grandparents and you feel like that's something that you want to do, then you should do that, and with me, I chose not to, Mm -hmm. Um, I bet she would have loved my husband, but I just... I just it just wasn't part of my story right um, so yeah um, continue on yeah um, so I should probably mention because I, I mentioned earlier that at, at this point um, after my parents had harassed me I had found a partner um, and you know I'm gonna you know go into that because it's not all my story is not all bleak there are you know peaks and valleys um, one of the peaks was meeting Kirk uh, he was this I don't know where he even came from he's just this guy I found online and like we'd been chit-chatting and we finally I actually got stood up by one of my johns they you know ghosted me so I said you know what I'm ready I'm all cleaned out ready to go do some some stuff because hoeing down you got to get ready (laughs) so I messaged him like hey I'm available right now but the thing is is I got to stay over because I have school in the morning so and this was a, a little while back before I moved in with him and stuff and this time I met him so I went over we did our thing I stayed the night and then one night turned into three nights, and then three nights turned into a month. And then one morning, I looked at him, I'm like, are we dating? And he's like, I think so. And I'm like, cool. So then our relationship progressed from there. And when it got to the point where my transmission blew and I had to drop out of school and quit my job, I told him, because we'd only been dating a couple months, I'm like, and I don't know what to do. I'm, I have no way to support myself. I have no way to film further my education. I'm trapped, and I have nothing else to do. And he's like, well, and this was when I knew that this is something I could take more seriously. He told me, he's like, listen, you stay here as long as you need to, to get yourself back in order. And he just let me stay at his home for like a month while I looked for work. And um, I looked and I looked and I found a job, part-time thing as a cashier. Uh, I worked my way up to a supervisory position in a couple months and got another job at a bank. Um, So I worked two jobs, like 16 hours a week, six, seven days a week. Uh, to the point where I could finally get a car and this man was like there for me and he wasn't abusive, he wasn't cruel like he was the first person I'd met in my life who didn't have an agenda with me Mm -hmm. you know like he didn't have an expectation of this is something I'm trying to get out of you he just Mm -hmm. genuinely cared about me and wanted what was best for me and like people say they did that for me but he's the first person I actually felt it with Yeah. Uh, how old were you at the time that all this is happening? 18 to 19 so really yeah. young. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm only 22 now, guys. When this is happening, so this is all still rather recent history in comparison to the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah. So yeah, and we moved to another state together. We got married. It's been coming up on four years now. Um, Wait, when did you get married in California? Or- we so <laughs> we tried. <laughs> we tried, but I had some friends that I asked to be witnesses and. At that point, I then found out that they were against gay marriage, so we did not get married in California. So we came up here, we found a minister, and got married once we moved. You got married in Oregon? Mm-hmm. Oh. Within about a month of us moving up here. We were going to try and get married beforehand, because San Diego's where we had some 
family, but it just didn't work out. So the pictures of you in that church, I believe, or mm-hmm. the courthouse, was here? Yeah, it's here. Oh. It's at this Lutheran church downtown. Um, this really lovely minister, LGBTQ uh, minister, did the ceremony for us. Uh, their name was Leo. They're very lovely, um, and they're very, <laughs> they're very, very lovely person. <laughs> Wait, how long have you been married? Two years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we were dated for like two years, and then we have been married for almost two years now. Actually, we just had our two-year anniversary earlier this month, so we're just over two month, two years now. Numbers are hard. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah, um, yeah, he's a good guy, and he's been really supportive. He was the first person that I opened up to about my childhood rape, um, and I took him to the places, because he's like, he's getting to the point when I was younger, when I was younger in our relationship, he's like, you've got some problems. I'm like, okay. I trust this person, let me show them why. So I took them on a tour and showed them all the places. Like, this is the building that I was raped in when I was nine years old. Uh, This is the house that I grew up in. This is the house we moved to to get away from this situation and all this stuff. So he's someone I really trust, and I really appreciate having him in my life, and I hope that I've contributed something to his life as well. (laughs) So when did you leave? You said you left home at 18, and you were Mm -hmm. staying with that older person? No, tech. So what happened is technically I left home when I was like seventeen and a half. I moved out and started house sitting for people. Mm. So like I would go around and house sit for people for a month or two at a time because I the town I grew up in also was a vacation spot for people. It's so like mm. their they would be out of their houses for sometimes. So I lived there for a couple months and then I moved into a friend's parents had a granny flat in the back of their garage. They said if I could renovate it, I could live in it for cheap. So then I renovated it and moved in with my friend. Okay. And then they were very much of a pig and would not clean up after themselves. So when I was working part-time at Subway and would come home every night to ants covering the entire apartment because he wouldn't pick up his chips, I'm like, you know what? I can't do this. I had Kirk. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not staying here anyway. I'm with you all the time. Maybe we should just move in together. And he said, I actually, he prompted it. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Cool. So we then did that. <laughs> yeah. So have your parents met Kirk? No. Your parents haven't met your husband? None, the only family members that have met my husband are my cousin Mary and her husband Ryan. Um, they they love him. And they your brother. Him. And my brother has when my husband brought him up for a surprise visit that I wasn't emotionally prepared for. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's a lot. That's, that is a lot. That's he a thought lot. he was doing a nice thing, and um, I'm like, that's very sweet to go there. <laughs> so, yeah, with this all being very recent, what mm-hmm. are some things that you do to, like, try to unpack and kind of heal from um, these moments? Like, uh, Well, I focus on my art. Yeah. I put a lot of my life experience into my art and so that's like when I do like super conceptual numbers or I do some you know very dramatic numbers is because I have theater but also I put a lot of history and I put emotion into what I do so my art is a way for me to really habilitate that um, yeah. which my family again because they violate my privacy have found out about <laughs> um, so yeah. but they just we don't we don't talk about it um, I actually finally came out had that conversation with my parents earlier this year of coming out um, Actually, oh, wow. no, I talked about not last year, last okay. October, so it's been almost a year. Um, my brother graduated high school, uh, so I went down there for his graduation. Um, and I'm like, you know what, this is the visit. He's graduated high school, so he's an adult. He's not under their vice. My grandma died, so I don't have to worry about killing her. 
Um, I know it's a weird, morbid thing to think, but like grandma's dead. Okay, so ch- checklist. Um, grandma bought me a very nice fridge in my new house, so I'm, I I love her dearly. Um, so I finally, after his graduation happened, had been, I stayed there for a couple days extra, and I told my parents, you know, hey, I'm we need to have a conversation. So we went outside of my grandma's house that you know they had moved into because we inherited it. Um, I said, listen, I know that you guys are aware of my lifestyle. You're aware that I have a partner. And uh, I know that you are just, you know about my life, so I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm a queer person. Um, if you're able to have that, I would love to continue what relationship we can have and maybe grow as people. Um, and then they told me, you know, we'd love that too, but we just want you to know that we don't support your lifestyle. Uh, you and your partner aren't nice. welcome to stay here if you're ever in town, but we'd be happy to meet them at neutral locations. And we just want you to know that your life is a sin and you'll probably go to hell. Cool. Yeah. Your parents suck. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when that happened. Gosh. Um, and now recently it finds out that my brother sucks too, the one that was surprised visited. Uh, just, that's right. You had a story yeah. about him. Yeah. And so this is, I think, really relevant because, and this speaks to the this narrative that you said where. Just, just happened. Like within the last week and a half. Yeah. Um, your narrative where you're, when you are a queer person, you never stop coming out. Yeah. Uh, um, and I guess this was an no. instance where that happened. Um, my brother called me out of the blue in the middle of a work day. And I'm like, okay, who's dead? Um, so I answer the phone. And he's like, hey, I really need to talk to you. I'm like, is everything? He's like, yeah, your lifestyle's a sin and you're living against God. I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay, well, I'm about to go on my lunch. I'm going to call you in 30 minutes because I'm still technically at work. And then I hung up. I'm like, I need to go on lunch. So I go on lunch and I text Donna and I'm like, Donna, you have shitty family. (laughs) I need to talk to you for a second. (laughs) And I'm like, I just, I knew this conversation was going to happen because this is how religious families operate is at some point they become guilty by proxy because of someone else's decisions. So yeah, they, they feel like yeah. they have to because that happened. Because mm-hmm. that's my story. My yeah. sister, when I came out to her, she's she's fine. She's fine. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, suddenly she's the most religious person I've ever met in my mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And I know I, it makes it sound like we're bashing on religious people, but like the fact is like she was very religious before, but then well, suddenly she got insanely religious and suddenly homosexuality was the sinnest of all sins. Well, religion is a yeah. crowd control tool used by ancient people to enforce a, a narcissistic regime and also maintain control over the masses. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. happened to me as well. Yep. It, where it, she treats me and my partner. Oh, actually, I do have a small story mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. about this, actually. Mm-hmm. So my, um, my niece, mm-hmm. because whenever me and my husband stay with my mom, my niece... Uh, one time said uh, my mom says that you guys are not supposed to share a bed together mm-hmm. and I was like why she's like because it's wrong I was like what's wrong it's cold she's like you can't be two boys sharing a bed together and I said who said that that's wrong she's like my mom does it's like your mom is wrong <laughs> your mom is very wrong and also sweetie it makes you assume they're both boys I mean <laughs> different conversation <laughs> no, continue what happened with yeah. your brother so I call him back when I'm on my lunch. I'm like, okay, 
because I'm like, this is just what I've been for everybody in my life that's important. I'm an emotional punching bag. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, get it out. And so he told me that, you know, he's like, well, what made you go so far away from your faith of your youth? And I'm like, well, considering I was raped by someone that our dad was counseling when I was nine years old, forgot about, and then remembered when I finally moved out, went to a therapist. Um, the fact that I was completely isolated and hated on by everyone in our church, and I had no idea why. Um, the constant verbal abuse and rejection I would get from our friend group because our parents forced us to hang out and they didn't actually like me. Um, he's like, and also the twisted nature of Christianity because I'm sure people have very fulfilling lives with their faith who are, you know, of their queer or who are alternate lifestyle. But my experience is what Christianity has done over the last 2,000 years since its inception has murdered millions of people and caused so much heartache across the world that it's good does not outweigh its evil. So I told him that. Um, and he's like, okay, well, let's get into the unnatural nature of your lifestyle. I'm like, what's unnatural about it? He's like, well, it's biologically unhealthy. And I'm like, really? Because just about any other species on the planet, you can observe same-sex relationships and interactions. So if you're talking about what's unnatural, it's unnatural that human beings are trying to enforce a biological standard on people when it happens in nature all the time. Yeah. And so then it became a back and forth, and he tried to you know, tell me, well, it's against God's laws. And I had to keep reminding him, I'm like, Noah, I do not live according to those rules. Those are rules that you made a choice to follow. But as part of that, you need to respect when people don't choose to follow that lifestyle because this is not a standard of law. This is a choice that you have made. So you cannot force your morals and your ideas onto me. And well, and you yeah. know what sucks about that kind of conversation mm -hmm. just to play devil's advocate right. here is the fact that um, when people are so definitive about their faith that this is how it works and they're like no I'm going to be so incredibly sad mm -hmm. and it's so incredibly guilty if you do not get to heaven like right. I'm going to with all of my angels and I'm just like here's the thing though mm -hmm. like you don't know definitively if that is what happens I'm none sure of them nobody, nobody alive on this earth knows what happened yeah. you die so um, yeah. you can't like placing that specific like that specific judgment on somebody mm -hmm. is incredibly wrong. And then let's say they are true. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say we all know definitively that this Christianity is true faith or whatever. What also sucks about that conversation is if we even knew if it was true, mm -hmm. I think most queer people would still choose their chosen path. 100%. Like, and that's the truth. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, I, I think there, it's, it's possible to believe that there is... Um, that you can have a lot of progress with your family too. Like, yeah. well, I look feel, at your example. Yeah, you know? like I mean, the fact of the matter is, is like I feel like me and my family now we're just mm -hmm. kind of at an understanding that we are different, but we still do love each other, yeah. and we do believe in different things. Like they don't force like their beliefs on me anymore, mm -hmm. and I don't do that with them, and um, at least I try not to. Right. I like I do feel like sometimes, like being the lone like progressive in my family <laughs> I get poked a lot yeah. and you know that's something I wish wouldn't happen yeah. as much but well and this is know. something too I don't think queer people realize is because there's always says like we have to make sure your family loves you and you find your family this is something I'm going to say and all you little queer bees who aren't sure listen up 
Just because your family wants to have a relationship with you after you've come out does not mean you have to have a relationship with them if you don't want it. Absolutely. So, like, yeah. if you do not want to have a relationship with them, that's, that's perfectly fine. I maintain a relationship with my family because they put in the effort to do it. I don't. I don't initiate. I don't instigate. I don't go out of my way to reach out to them. They'll contact me. And I'm just courteous. But I've had so much that I can't even unpack in this podcast that my family has done to me that's twisted me and ruined me. And I'm just now at a point where I'm able to identify and possibly grow from it. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then on my side of the spectrum, like, um, and yes, I know my mom listens to this, and mm-hmm. I'm going to say this, and it's going to be incredibly rude, mm-hmm. but, like, my sister's also just kind of dense. Yep. Like, um, in the sense of her beliefs and how she enacts them. And so, like, So not I dense was, like a chocolate German cake, dense like a brick. Crick. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> so, I can, so I can be, I can have a great relationship with my sister because she... Like, her worldviews don't match mine. So, like what Donna said, her worldviews don't match mine, but also it's not about convincing and respecting on mm-hmm. our sides. For me, it's like, I hear that she says words, and I acknowledge that those <laughs> words exist. That's, kind of what she do- that's kind of what my sister does with me. I <laughs> These are like, I hear sounds out of your mouth, I'm the but like, that's like <laughs> hey, this is how I feel about Donald Trump. And then my sister's just like, uh huh. Yeah, and um, this. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't really like argue that much. She's just like, uh huh. Okay. Yeah. My sister, I she says words, but my mom, on the other hand, uh-huh. um, she very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, is loving and caring and yeah. kindness. And my mom has so much love that it, like, meets all my other family members. Yeah. My dad, on the other hand, I also just feel like he doesn't... Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't come up. And right. I feel like maybe my dad is more so, like, Donatella's story with her folks mm-hmm. sometimes. Because he's very religious. It doesn't come up. And we understand that these things are true about each other. Yeah. Um, and he does send me God bless you every once in a while. Which is uncomfortable. Oh, I hate that. I actually had to tell my brother because it got to the point of that conversation. I said, listen, we're at a point where you're about to cross a line. So I'm just going to put this rule out there because you haven't crossed it yet. You don't get to talk to me about your faith anymore. You just don't. And that's okay to set up those boundaries. Like, I'm sure you have a different relationship with your dad, so you don't feel the need to say it. But, like, it's okay to say, listen, I love you, but... If you want us to be able to survive and us to have a healthy relationship, you don't get to talk to me about this anymore. I won't force my lifestyle on you, and that's just what well, it's, it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's very that's important. And that's and honestly, sometimes people grow and sometimes people change. Mm-hmm. I feel like my dad and my sister are getting worse. Mm-hmm. My mom, obviously, like we impacted mine, got a lot better as yeah. time went on. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just reality. But Tisha, you said you were going to tell the kids about chosen family. Yeah, and this was something I was going to you know, caveat of you don't have to have a relationship with your family if you don't want it. Um, As queer people, we have a lot of shared trauma and there's a lot of intersectionality and trauma and that's an incredibly bonding force. Um, Not saying this the only way, but find your group of people that you can rely on um, because you will, people find their family. It's called finding your tribe. I don't know why we use that term, but I I guess it works. Uh, So find your tribe, find the people that you can call family and focus your relationships there that you would normally focus on you know, a traditionally blood relative. Because that's another way you can find that fulfillment outside of that if you can't have it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of people have chosen family mm-hmm. in the queer community because it's how we stay safe. Honestly, I'm still looking for mine. I like how it As drag artists, too, drag artists, actually, that's kind of how houses started, mm-hmm. is it's a group of chosen, it's chosen family yep. and people who have similar ideas and can come together mm-hmm. and keep each other safe. Yep, that's yeah. what I mean, ballroom was. You know, it was a bunch of queer people who were thrown out on the streets because their parents didn't, you know, 
want to deal with them or hated them or didn't let their lifestyle happen so they bonded together and they made themselves work yeah agree Mm -hmm. so that does bring us to the end of our episode yes there is hope people just gotta wait for it sometimes (laughs) (laughs) we've shared four very different stories about coming out of the closet Mm. every coming out of closet story is gonna be incredibly different Mm -hmm. it is it is so I wanted to give you guys a little bit of something sorry give you folks a little bit something to unpack here is that if you are happen to find this podcast at whatever time frame you're listening to it on, um, go tell a family member that you care about them. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're also a parent who's struggling with your kid coming out of the closet for whatever for whatever specific identifier that they're doing it with, just remember that it was hard enough for them to tell you, don't make it any worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my name is Coco Jim Holiday. And my name is Donatella My Secrets. And Tishay likes beef. <laughs> On Instagram. <laughs> we love you guys. Thank Talk you for to listening you. to our podcast. Good night. We'll see you next week. Bye. This has been another episode of HM of a Secret Podcast. The hosts of HM of a Secret Podcast are Donatella My Secrets and Coco Jim Holiday. You may follow Donatella My Secrets at Donatella underscore My Secrets on Instagram. You may follow Coco Gem Holiday at Coco Gem Holiday on Instagram. Original music by Touche Douche and Party Favors. You can follow them respectively at The Touche Douche and at Party Favors Music on Instagram. For more exclusive content, visit www.ajemofasecretpodcast.com. That is a-J-E-M of a secret podcast dot com. Be sure to tune in every week on Thursday for a new episode wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, email us at a gem of a secret pod at gmail.com. Please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.